I don't know if we should all sort of admit that we're addicted, um, that we're junkies, that when it was over, it was horrible, um, and that we lived in that world a very complex, difficult, brilliantly presented world of chaos and violence and hope and stymied dreams. And But what is extraordinary is that this model has taken The Wire and all of its celebrity quality and her celebrity quality and brought it into the community. And it's Sonia who has started a program in Baltimore called Rewired for Change, which brings the, shall we say, the, the celebrity quality, the, the theatrical quality, the, the, the famous quality of The Wire down to the ground to try to help people who, in fact, The Wire is showing and, and, and dealing with and to give them a, a new chance and, and opportunities, in fact, to break out of that world. So it is really a wonderful opportunity for us to uh, introduce Sonia San to you. Oh, wow. <clears throat> it's early for me uh, for <laughs> as far as Saturdays are concerned. I usually spend about three hours alone before I start talking, and I didn't get a chance to do that. Um, someone with the kind of energy I have needs to be like super grounded before I, <laughs> I start running my mouth. So excuse me if I'm a little all over the place because um, I might be, um, that might happen because I'm just really excited. I love events like this because I feel like I'm with my people. You know, this is like my tribe of people. I mean, you know, people know me as a as a creative person, as a, you know, a celebrity of some sort, as an actress, as an entertainer or whatever. And, you know, um, it's kind of unfortunate how the world seems to, just the external world really values all of that stuff a little too much. Um, but when I... Um, <clears throat> When I found my passion for, as a matter of fact, I always, I, in fact, I always knew that my purpose in life had something to do with, with helping people. Um, so I think my early life, there's some little inkling that, I, that probably all of you have had at some point when you were younger, like, I'm supposed to help people. You know, I was um, five years old um, growing up in an underserved community in Newport News, Virginia, and I had a really strong sense of that, that I was born for a purpose, and I was going to find out what that was, and that was my job. And and some years later, it was like, okay, I think it has something to do with helping people because I just want to be so. And I thought, well, how, how could I do that? And it was like, and I was dealing with a lot of very complicated um, situations in my home and in my community that were that did not give me a lot of time to actually focus on looking for that purpose. I was really focusing on on how to um, how to stay sane. Um, but um, I think I was around 13 when I, I decided, well, it has something to do with helping people. And right now, all I can do is just be a nice person. So just try to be a nice person. Um, 
And lo and behold, many years later, after, you know, never wanting to be an actress. I mean, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, th 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 my, my mother gave me a piece of paper before she died that actually indicated that somewhere in my early childhood, around 10 years old, I'd written something that said, I, it's a little piece of, a, a little line that said I wanted to be a movie star. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't even remember that. I, I've been disowning this this career for years. Uh, in the 80s, I was a, a crazy, just a super out there anti-establishment punk, um, <laughs> railing against Reagan. I had a zine, I hair was shaved, and I was so serious about this, the the, the, the country's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, people would look at me and say, oh, you should be a print model. I'm like, ah, what are you talking about? That vein. What are you, ah, you should be an actress after I started doing poetry. And I, and I, could, never have, I could never remember actually connecting to um, a, a career in, in the entertainment world. But, you know, we get these sort of little pieces. I'm writing, um, I'm preparing to write a memoir right now. And I'm visiting all these little pieces that added up to, to, to my being, um, to my having started Rewired for Change, you know, with the um, principal cast of the show. And, and how there were so many years I was in this acting game, including when I was on The Wire, when I was not sure that acting was really a part of meaningful purpose. I could not see what that career had to do with meaningful purpose. And it was only after the show ended and we were invited on a, uh, a voter empowerment tour by Mark Morial of the National Urban League, and then to do some campaigning on behalf of um, now President Obama in Carolina, that I was able to see the kind of social capital that came with being an actor on that show. We were dragging, not dragging, but guys were walking off of basketball courts to go vote, which is a serious thing in the hood, let me tell you when he's got to go put his shirt on. Um, <laughs> and we were speaking with some fellas in the project who were, you know, knocking back 40s, clearly a little blunted. And, um, you know, but, the, you know, these are my folks. You know, not, every, not all actors from the show had come from the same kind of background that I had, that, that I'd come from. Some did and some didn't. Um, and oddly enough, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where we were, was actually where my brother was murdered, and I hadn't been back to that town since his funeral. And we were on the steps of a a project complex, and this guy was just all excited because we were there. Um, and we had to ask the regional campaign directors to actually, field director, actually send us there because, you know, they were taking us to colleges, and we knew these folks were going to vote for Obama. We were like, you know, there are forces out there who think these people are going to stay home. You actually need to put us there. These are the folks who are our fans. And we saw that fanship and that strategy really work. Um, when this guy said, oh, yeah, I voted already. I voted because you could vote early in, in, in Carolina. And, um, and then we said, hey, but, you know, you probably, you know, he, since you voted and you're, you're active, you know, make sure you tell folks in the neighborhood about, you know, what the policies are and what have you, what the platform is. And we give him some uh, <clears throat> material. And after talking to him for about 10 minutes, he said, I lied, I lied, I lied. I ain't vote, I ain't vote. <laughs> he said, but I'm going to vote now. Since, 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 since y'all came here, I'm going to vote, I'm going to vote. And so we're like, okay, okay. <laughs> it was a great moment. <laughs> 
but was it an even better moment came the next day when we're um, riding around in the van and the regional field director calls and says, we got a guy here, big, big black guy. And we, this was the guy because that was the description that we remember. He said, he says he's here to vote because the big dude from the wide told him to vote. That was Banga Akanabe, who plays um, Chris Partlow, who was Snoop's partner, and putting everybody in the... So when Banga comes <laughs> to town, there's an association with him um, that isn't who he is, of course, being that he's a political science major. We graduated from Bucknell. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting how it all comes together, right? And, and he's not only voting, but he's volunteering for the campaign. And see, I know how stuff works in the hood. You need, you know, I grew up in the 70s when, you know, it's post-civil rights and people were still talking about Malcolm X. They were still Black Panthers. You know, we were, you know, that was a part of the, of the conversation that was going on in the kitchen on the streets with somebody's big brother, big sister in their 20s that you looked up to. And even though you might not have been involved, but you were surrounded by all this conversation. See, and I know that conversation informed who I am and informed you know, my journey and my purpose. And see, we don't have, we're not having a lot of those conversations anymore um, in, in, our, in our communities. And so, you know, this fellow was able to, you know, do his thing there. I actually came back to that neighborhood. Everybody left town. I came back to that neighborhood a couple of days later and I ran into another woman and the word had spread. She said, oh, I missed y'all the other day. I was at work. I heard y'all were here. Oh my God, I'm so glad you came back. She said, you know what, girl? I cook. I cook for a hotel. You know, I can cook. They love my cooking here. She said, you know what I'm going to do? I was thinking about, I was thinking about cooking, you know, dinners. And if you come by and you give me your voter registration, your voter, voter ticket, then I'm going to give you a plate because, you know, they love my cooking. I said, all right, girl, we got mama's cooking for Obama. Hey, <laughs> see, it's so simple. Really? You know what I mean? And so, you know, I really you know, found my way, you know, you know, you know, to this podium because I'm just somebody who, who cares. I care about people. I've always loved people since ever, ever since I could remember. And I've always been able to see the pain of what it's like growing up, you know, struggling because of my own personal circumstances. And you can see, and, and you realize that, and as you grow up, you realize even if somebody looks privileged or comes from a different background, you're like, God, we're all carrying some of that. And it's really simple for me. I mean, you guys have, have, have um, you know, have come from different, a, a different place, a different generation, and we all have different stories, and they're all important. But for me, it all just started with wanting to make it, the lives of others a little bit easier and believing that the world could be a better place if we just cared about each other. And so um, I have some, I, <laughs> I had some notes here on the little uh, notepad. Wow. Um, which I'm not going to go too deeply into because I didn't plan to tell that story. That's, you know, at these kinds of things, I, I tend to like to speak from my heart and uh, especially with um, the kind of morning I had and just being so overwhelmed, like really, like really feeling Judith. Oh, I didn't know anything about the Danish people and that there was this whole society. Like, my God, it's like a, it's an absolute miracle 
It's a miracle that an entire society agreed to act in one way and did under such immense pressure and violence. I mean, I'm really floored by that. I didn't know that. And it's exhilarating and exciting, and it's also sad because I, I don't, slightly sad, because I don't know if that's popular, if that's possible in the world today. Um, however, a thought came to me while I was sitting here, because all these thoughts just came to me. I was like, you know, I'm being blown away by, you know, what you've done here with Humanity in Action and then seeing, you know, seeing all the connections in this gentleman's uh, amazing project and knowing that all these other young people probably have similarly amazing projects going and it's really mind-blowing but it reminds it, 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 uh, I gotta take this jacket off I feel a little confined but I'm also cold so let me see what I can do go right there but it reminds me of um, it, it hit on something it reminded me of you know we've got to move differently in the world today you know, it's not the '70s anymore. You know, it's it, you know, it's, it's you know, we gotta be really creative, and that's why I, I, there's a topic about all, all uh, something about creativity. What's that topic? All act, social action is creative, or something? Everything is creative. Love that because that's what I saw when I started doing this work. Um, <clears throat> But it and it allows for a fluidity and a you know in this work. I think that if you're really didactic and structured, that you you can't you know you don't find. And if you don't have that fluidity, because that's what's you know that's energy. You you know you you're gonna get stuck. Your projects are gonna get stuck at times. But anywho, I started to think about. I have been thinking very very deeply, um, probably since the since. I landed in Baltimore with Rewire for Change, this idea for this nonprofit, um, and um, started, you know, interacting with people who were in this world. And I was, you know, I'm an actress, never been trained in this work, <laughs> which um, has certainly been a challenge for me. But I started immediately seeing kind of why some things don't work. Um, and so I want to commend you on including that create, creative, that creativity piece. But I also saw that there is something, you know, you know, the wire taught us that our public institutions have failed us. And my history, personal history and ancestral history has told me the same thing. And, and I, I remember being young and being, and, and when I got to my lowest points, I would go to a particular place in my neighborhood and I had a little thing that I would do just to kind of, you know, be like, just to talk to God and go like, well, why, why, in the, why did you do this to me? Um, and there was always that inevitable moment when I was hoping that some, you know, adult would come and say, what's wrong, little girl? Why are you crying? And then I would say, you know, and then they would just whisk me out of this. And, you know, it was the white night whole scenario, right? And, of course, it never happened. And I, you know, and really, I feel like there is some sort of fundamental element in the way that we are thinking and approaching, particularly people who, are grow, who have grown up oppressed and disempowered in this community is we're still waiting for the white knight. We're still waiting for the cavalry, and we think it's the government, and we think the government is supposed to be that cavalry. And it has been hundreds of years and change 
<clears throat> and I'm not saying good work doesn't happen in these institutions that aren't good people, excuse me, good people, well-meaning people, but that's a behemoth creature that moves at a snail's pace. And when you are suffering as a kid or as an adult even, because let's not forget our, our adults. We, we act as though, the you know, you know, the adults are too complicated. Let's just focus on the kids. But everybody's suffering. You know, you there. You know, it was how many years did it take for the Civil Rights Act? Do you know what I mean? People were suffering inside and dying, and just trying to find a way to kind of stay alive and keep it moving. And and, and I just there's got to we've got to be a little bit more creative with our solutions because they're not going to do it. They're going to do it so slowly that our great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren are going to feel some of the action that's taking place now. Because electing a black president wasn't a miraculous overnight, you know, wave the magic wand solution, but it added a little bit of hope to little kids, you know, that are growing up today, which is great when that hope is, that is going to sprout into something huge. And, you know, yeah, all the good stuff's going to happen, but, you know, what happens to the people who are, who are suffering today? And so for me, I know what I had to do one thing that 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 um, and let me get, look at the time here. Can you give me um, a, like a five minute like warning, seven minute actually, um, which is probably coming up. <laughs> um, but it, but because it, we do want to get to questions, right? Because I do want to I, I want to have a conversation. But um, I relate a lot of this stuff to my because I really do believe my life was, is a, you know is a desire. I believe every single life is a design. That's just my personal belief. You can latch onto that. You can connect to that or not. Um, I really don't uh, care. It's not really that relevant. But I believe that, you know, my life has, has been designed. And so I, when I refer back to my, my personal experience, um, you know, it is not to say that, you know, everyone has to have the same experience, but I believe I'm, all, I'm referencing my own personal library on, that informs um, what I, that informs my purpose and what I, what I need to say and give to the world. So at any rate, as a child, I remember thinking that just being really, the, the, the being really um, just viscerally, affected by people who looked at themselves as a victim. And, and, it, and it had to do with growing up in a home where my mother was physically abused. And, and probably because she never looked at herself in that way, although she was and might have served her in some way, shape, or form. But I, was, I grew up in a family that was full of brilliance and talent. My father, I know he must have been, a, he, uh, he, was, he is a genius. He's brilliant. My mother's incredibly brilliant, but only went to school. Um, she, she, was, she was an immigrant from Korea, only had gone to school um, up until about the seventh grade. My father grew up poor, um, but they were brilliant people. I had an incredibly talented brother. My sister was incredibly compassionate. And, you know, I was known to be, you know, the gifted type and blah, blah, blah. I was a kid. Nobody had to worry about blah, blah, blah. But I, but I also saw my family. I thought, there's so much here. Why isn't everybody, why isn't anybody doing what they, like, why can't they see it? And I had, you know, a couple, you know, my, and I, there was a sort of, a, a little bit of a sort of a victimization thing that um, some of my family members were living in, and, it, and I despised it. 
And um, long story short is I know that part of that is what that thinking and that feeling is part of what brought me to where I am today, to this place um, where I always fought against accepting that I had no power. Um, and in a way, you know, you know, years ago when I was really working through some of the abuse stuff, it probably stunted some of my 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 healing at one point because I needed to realize that you know when you're sexually abused you know you, you know you were a victim and I had to go own it and you know for somebody like me it was real hard to go back there and go like to to grab that and thank God I was able to because you know we got to do everything in, ba- in balance you know what I mean I'm not saying that you know there are these circumstances where we need to own that we need to touch that we need to feel that we need to connect to that but once we do that we need to be focused on the power that resides in every single individual, no matter what background they come from. And we need to feed that power, and we need to build that power. We have the power, and you guys know that. That's why you're here. we got the power to change this planet, and we got to find new ways to do it. So I love Humanity in Action for what you guys are doing. You are fostering um, you are fostering that in, you know, in, 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 in the world. And so I guess I'm going to sort of round it out by just saying that um, I had started this little piece and, and didn't finish it. I'm, that was a long circle. But I was talking about how, you know, when I started this nonprofit, um, I could see a lot of holes in why things weren't working. You know, I don't have faith in this political system. I really don't. But I do believe that some of you were chosen to actually be a part of it and to work on policy and to do that thing and to, and to, and to I don't like to say fight fights or, you know, but to, 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 to transform that system. I, that's not my lane. So I'm not going to say, see, there's a part of me that just feels like it's a completely, it, 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 is, it is an illusion of power that really, that it's a complete illusion, and that it is not the way, but the dominant consciousness buys into it. Now, that's my personal, my personal standpoint, but I believe that truth involves everyone's perspective. It's all true. So that's my, that's just my personal standpoint, and there's a crew of people who are in my lane who own that standpoint, and we do our thing. But there are some of you out there who are, who do, who, who are big enough to believe that you could actually transform that damn system and turn it from an illusion into something that's, that's, that's a complete, you know, that's magically real and really works for the people. Um, and, and I support you. If that's in your heart, and if you really got it in you to like dedicate your life to that, because that takes a lot of guts, and that takes a, that's going to take a lot of heart, and that's going to be a hard battle, and it's going to hurt, uh, it's it's going to be painful, but it could happen because I believe in miracles. I believe in the miracle of the Danish people. See that happens. There are times when you can. That happens. And I believe we're living in a time in the history of existence where more and more 
we can possibly reach into the dimension where we can do this. And we don't have to be a whole country. So I look at you guys and say, okay, this is my team right here. So we're not just operating in a country. We're all over the world. And there might be some point, or there are points, when we're all doing our thing, and something this happens like that magically, and it reverberates all over the world, even though we're working on, you know, a thousand different projects. But some element comes into existence that then changes things. That's how Obama got elected. That wasn't supposed to happen this soon. Let's be real. Now, we're not going to talk about what happened after that. Um... <laughs> Because sometimes a symbol is really powerful. Just a symbol, just a hope, just the, the, the fact that that word reverberated in the minds of American people, you know, for a couple years. You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. You know what I mean? Because I know you and me and there's, you know, thousands and millions of other people who can do something with that. Things are going to change. They are changing. But we're going to work, we're working in a different way. So go ahead and do your stuff on the ground, do your projects and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. But see, I know there's something else more powerful beyond the tangible that you're doing that is really reverberating around the world. And I do believe that a miracle of transformation can really, is happening and can, and we're going to, and we could possibly see it in my lifetime, like in a big way. And I think we're seeing it all the time, right? So anyway, I think I'm going to sort of wrap it up right there. Um, and, uh, and I want to hear from you. Okay. <laughs> Questions? Comments, anything? Sharing a little bit of what you're doing? Hey. I think it's, I can't speak for everyone. It's so different for different people, you know. Um, let's, let's look at the Cuddy character. Um, you know, I think there's something really miraculous and beautiful and amazing about the, about the redemptive story and the redemptive journey. And I think the redemptive journey is informed by something deeply painful and deeply spiritual. Um, if I think when a person has come to an understanding, like a deep awakening around the effects of their actions, and at first it comes in the form of personal pain, like I'm in prison, or I'm a drug addict, or I've you know, killed some people, or whatever. If a person can make can be, can make the journey to to really 
owning the culpability of their participation in it and feeling how deeply, and, and you have to get in touch with your own pain. Then you realize how much pain you've caused others. And you also realize that you, you have to turn around. You can't, you either, that stuff is going to just drown you, drown you, and you're going to try to protect yourself from it. Or you want, a really, you want to undo what you just did. You want to undo all of that. And I think that in the case of Cuddy, that's, that's what happened. You know, I, listen, David Simon will tell you a completely other story. Let's be clear. The Wire is his creation. We showed up, and I believe every single one of us were ordained to play those roles because that was a beautiful group of people. And the, we, we, certainly, we certainly put breathed life into those characters. But David will give you a completely other explanation. I'm going to tell you an explanation based on brothers I knew in the hood and brothers I've worked with on the street like the 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 co-facilitator for the Rewired for Life pilot program, Mr. Greg Carpenter, who had spent 20 years in prison and came out and is now doing work in reentry and is uh, executive director of a of a local nonprofit that mediates on the street. Um, they came to a deep awareness about something really personal in them, and that and they they knew that they you know they they had to change, you know they wanted to. To, 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 to make um, make good. Um, and then that spurred them to, you know, becoming um, community leaders. Um, and I got to say that, you know, for me, that it was combined with that, a little bit of that, but really for me, it was like I felt so blessed. I mean, I'm working, you know, I got a job. Like, I was making more money per episode than my family made in a year. I'm looking back at my, you know, my, you know, where my folks come from and I'm going, oh my God, I, I, I purchased two houses in five years. You know, I was just like, oh my God, this is, you know, and I started feeling like I got to do service. There were a number of years when I was on that show, like the last two years, I was like, I got to give back. I got to do service, but I didn't really know what to do. And I didn't want to just go up into some soup kitchen or whatever, but I kind of just chilled because I don't do anything I do things when I'm inspired. I'm like, I got to know what it is. So for me, I just felt so blessed. And then, you know, we got that opportunity and, you know, so are you asking that question in terms of like, how do you inspire leadership in the people that you work with on the ground? How do you identify leadership in those people that you work with on the ground? Like, why are you asking that question? So you started by saying you're not sure. You're not sure whether what happened in Denmark could be replicated today. And this is something we've talked a lot about, about mm -hmm. the nature of leadership in the world today. And there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of theories about power is not what it once was. And so you look at someone like Obama, and, you know, I certainly saw his election as, wow, you know, this guy finally can, can maybe take us somewhere. Right. And the fact that it's been so challenging that to get from that sort of vision to the reality of where we are now makes me wonder whether, you know, the leader of the free world, the most powerful person in the world, if he can't do it, that doesn't necessarily leave us with a whole lot of hope. So I guess it, you know, at, the, at the macro level, the question is, what is the role of leadership today? Something like that. And then at the more local level, it's like, when you start running into obstacles at that level, how do you find it within yourself to take the path of not least resistance and to continue fighting that fight, even though you know it's going to be tough? 
Okay, because probably other people want to ask questions. I'm only, I'm only going to take the first part of that question, which was, what's the role of leadership? I think today, one of the key components, um, or one of the most powerful roles in leadership is really to inspire the leader in other people. To really understand that you're not the leader. That you're looking in a mirror, and there's a leader in someone else. And that we all need to be at the, we all need to be equally in that position. You've been given resources. You've been given, you know, a certain kind of, you know, you've been given a certain kind of resources. And so you inspire, you basically give that to other people. You inspire other people to be leaders. We all have to be leaders today. They can't be any, you know, we, we can't, we, we don't have, this is, oh, this is a bit general and it is a more specific answer to this, but we don't have time to be leading a bunch of soldiers. We all need to be generals, but, you know, certain people have talents in a certain area. You know, we don't all need to be up at the mic or, you know, there's a lot of ways to lead. And I love that quiet leadership. I love that one who can sit in the back and there's a room and they're really, they're running the show in a sense, you know, not in the egoic sense, but they have basically orchestrated the entire room to be, you know, you know, put people in positions and they've actually, and they're just sitting back and you don't really know that they've, you know, that they're the, that their lifeblood is running through this entire thing. You know, Judith, you know what that's like, right? <laughs> you get to go, in, you get to go in front and behind, but yeah, you know, anyway, okay. I could, I, I, I'm just, I'm so long winded. Um, sure. I'm Alistair. I'm currently a student um, in public policy at the Kennedy School. Mm. And one thing that you said, I think, really resonated with me, which was that you said you grew up in one episode, you earned more money than your family did, and that logically meant that you cared, right? And I think that a lot of us here find that logic, and it makes a lot of sense to us. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people that we work with, and I'm sure this is true for you too, that connection doesn't happen for most people, mm-hmm. right? That you recognize that what you got was your hard work and it reflects something about the institution that we live in mm-hmm. and what you feeling inspired to actually care. Mm-hmm. So I've recently been really interested in how you inspire empathy in other people because I think that's the basis of a lot of our work. Mm. And so especially in the in- entertainment industry, and I feel like I recently, this whole past year, I've been working in entertainment and actually hospitality it's been really impossible for me to get people to actually find that empathy, regardless of what stories we tell or what emotions we try and prompt in other people. So it sounds like you've been doing a great job with that, and I'd love to hear some of your experiences, especially in the entertainment industry, of how you inspire that kind of empathy, because I think it's a basic for most of our work. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> That's a great question. And that's kind of, you know, when I think about what, you know, when I, when I, you know, sort of have explorations around what I really do believe I'm bringing to the table here in terms of, you know, the making the world a better place table, you know, something that really, really, it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see so many entertainers making so. using 
not simply their money, but, you know, the most valuable thing that they are, which is them, you know, in a way that really lights a fire, you know, in the larger culture for anything other than buying their product. And now there's this thing as philanthropy as marketing tool. And, oof, okay, just oof, just got a little chills and needles in the back of my head. But you know what? I have to take that. I'm like, okay, okay, we can use that too. <laughs> you know, um, it's so funny. Roland Martin, um, I just saw him the other day, the Congressional Black Con- Congress um, um, forum, um, and we actually, you know, he did an interview with me around this because Harry Bel- this Harry Belafonte is really big on this right now, and did this big speech at BET Awards around this, and evidently it sort of caught Jamie Foxx's attention, and you know he may be doing some things, but you know what, sweetie, I wish I had an answer for you. I, I actually have a, I have a little plan, but. I know that I can't engage that strategy. And there's work that I need to do now. Um, um, you know, and most recently, and I got to tell you, you haven't seen me on TV a lot because this organization has been just taking up a lot of my time because I'm very passionate about it. But, um, and, and let's talk about some real, you know, let's be really real here because I'm a stripped down kind of girl. I don't have any shame about anything. But I, and I really do believe that, you know, letting you guys know the the pitfalls as well as the, you know, the promises and the wonderful things that have occurred is important for your journey. But, you know, I came into this nonprofit thing just thinking, you know, I got a good heart. I finally realized what it is. That's why I'm an actress. I'm supposed to, you know, give it back. Yes. So I discovered my purpose after decades. And I was like, yeah, got it. And it was streaming through me in that place that never lies to me. And I'm like going in there. Let me tell you something, boy, I got in there the last four years. I got swallowed up, chewed up, spit out every which way after so much money on consultants. And my, I mean, literally, I, I, I put so much into this organization. It, you know, I, I, it should be in a different place. You know, and, um, but I'm not, you know, you know, but, I, but you know, all it is is another strategy, you know, downshifting, you know, taking your lessons, you know, learning from your lessons and going, okay, we're going to do it this way now. It's not going anywhere. We're still doing what we need to do. But, you know, what I'm saying to you is um, there's a lot more, there's, I still have to, you know, this is important to me to, to have. To, to, to have, I'm having a personal conversation with you right now, okay? It's important for me to solidify the foundation of my organization, to keep on with, we, we, have, an, we have a great initiative on the ground now called the Baltimore Wake Up, um, which um, offers um, training and microfinancing to groups of neighbors of five to ten neighbors who want to make their community better. So you have an idea, you know, just, we just need, if five or ten of y'all want to work for eight weeks straight, that's all it requires. And we'll give you a project coach that'll work with you. Come to this day. We'll help you make a work plan. We'll, we'll help you. you we'll, we'll teach you how to fill out a, a, a minimal one-page grant application. And you will, for eight weeks, work on a project. And if you don't have a project, we have some pre-designed ones here. Just pick one. And we started out with um, 90 people attended the first forum. 60 of them, 60 of them, um, uh, it went into 10 groups. Um, 60 of them um, ended up in 10 different groups. And within four weeks, those 
90, 60 people turned into 170 people because they recruited people in their neighborhood. And that's the one thing we have on the ground right now. It's called the Baltimore Wake Up. We're doing it in conjunction with another organization called Spaces and a lot of local partners. And um, at any rate, you know, getting that little piece in, I've learned a lot about just having to, having the big vision, but really needing to put those doggone bricks in place first. So the larger vision I have around really bringing the entertainment community into this. And I think, see, Roland Martin and Harry Belafonte, you know, if Jamie Foxx gets in the mix, you know, they have that level of celebrity that I don't have. And Jamie Foxx has a Rolodex that I don't have. It takes really just one or two of them who really get invested to maybe bring in the other folks. Um, but I, I, I don't know, man, because, I, because also here's the thing. This is the other thing I had to accept. Those people are really busy doing what they were born to do. You know, if you have, were born to be a, a singer or, you know, the business of entertainment is draining the public at that level. I got that comfortable kind of celebrity. I can still walk around these streets. You know what I'm saying? So I also had to be compassionate in terms of what they're dealing with. What I would like to see is then make the content of what you do inspiring. Because you're going to do what you need to do. And I understand if you don't have time to make this your... But see, for me, this is all of our missions. And we need to all... But, but I can't impose what I believe on the... You know what I mean? Think about it. So it's so, I've, I've had to sort of, I've had to sort of um, you know, balance my view a little bit. I've had to have empathy for them. And so now I think it really is up to people like you who see that, right? Like I see it, you see it. How can we make it easy for people as busy as these A-list entertainers to actually get involved and inspire. So we got to meet them where they are, right? See, we don't, never, we don't look at it that way, right? We always look at it this way. We got to meet them where they are. No, we got to meet them where they are, too, because they're people, too. It's stressful. This business is stressful. Let me tell you something, you know. So think about, you know, I don't know about inspiring empathy. That's a personal spiritual journey. And it took me a lot of forays into all kinds of, you know, you know, air. I had a personal interest in that. Buddhism played a little part in it. But also, you know, a, a lot of other, you know, sort of more um, less acceptable kind of, you know, spiritual practices. So um, I, I'm just saying, you know, you know, either you, they're going to go on that journey or by osmosis. Because you know how we work, y'all. You keep giving love from your heart. You keep being empathetic. It's how you live your life that is going to inspire other people to be different. Not what you say. Not some project. The more of us who live that way, we're going to affect people. We're going to affect people through our actions, not our words. Okay. So, uh, what time is it? We good? Okay, we got, uh, it's 11.07. See, I'm helping you out, Judith. <laughs> Usually, folks are taking me off this little stage with a cane, you know. <laughs> okay. Oh, I got 11.07. I got a little time. Look at air. I'm just picking people. I mean, is, is, does somebody else want to pick folks? I'm just picking people I see. 
Hey, boo. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about sort of the issue of allyship in the racial justice movement. Um, and I guess more generally. Wait, 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 slow down. What would you say? I was sort of wanted to ask you about allyship. and. Okay, so first of all, I don't know what that is. Okay. Um, I told you I didn't go to school for this. No, that's <laughs> I didn't either. Um, I want to ask you about the sort of complexity of doing work in a community that is not your own and the way to work sort of what you think about working sort of with and for people in a way that doesn't feel like condescending or hierarchical and doesn't sort of recreate these problematic structures that we see and learn. And, I know, yeah. I know, boo. You had some experiences, haven't you? <laughs> oh, my God. I was, uh, I was with, <laughs> baby, my heart goes out because I see y'all coming, you know, and I'm like, okay, please, Lord have mercy. <laughs> I hope they can stand this. This is why everything in America is, this is why they're all going to Africa to help people. <laughs> so much easier. When people just, okay, don't let me go down that track here. I might say something that's inappropriate. No, but baby, thank you. Okay, first of all, let me just say that, and that you're still trying to find a way. But I had a two-hour conversation about this yesterday with a, um, one of um, a, a gentleman who's one of our partners in the Baltimore Wake Up, um, who, who facilitates, because you know there are people who, who, who facilitate. As a matter of fact, Spaces, the organization that's a co-leader on the Baltimore Wake Up, is a national organization that really works on um, racial healing amongst activists because of things just like this, because of this dynamic right here. And, um, and I had a very interesting discussion because, because there's two sort of ways to look at it. Here's the, here's the way that, that here's the, I guess, the way that most people are looking at it, which is really, really important. Um, being really careful to Being really careful. I mean, and you know this. I don't think I'm going to tell you anything you really don't know. I mean, you know you have to be really aware of your difference. Um, and we come into these situations, and I'll tell you something, I was guilty of it too, okay? Because it had been many years since I grew up in the hood. I was living in a 5,000-square-foot house over in the best neighborhood in Baltimore. You know, I'm traveling. You know, um, so you have this, you come with this idea that you want to help folks. And I know that word help now is, 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 is not, you know, is not appropriate or whatever, you know, but you do come with your bleeding heart and you're like, you know, and we're not aware of the assets and we're not aware of, um, you know, I mean, listen, there's a whole, you guys know, y'all study all this stuff about, about, you know, the, the politics of, of sort of, of, of helping folks and that sort of disempowering mentality that you can have going into these places and blah, blah, blah. I think the best thing, you know, you can do, there's some people out here who are doing great work around, like you can go to trainings around this. You've probably been to a few, right? Right? Like, because for you to ask this question, you know, in the way that you asked it doesn't, you know, I'd say just keep doing that. But see, here's the, the point I brought up with this guy, and I'm sorry I'm going over a little bit because this is really important to me. I said, you know what, Paolo? I said, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. I said, um, yeah, I said, we, you know, black folks, who are doing this work, you know, all the on the ground activists, you know, tend to think that, you know, or 
let's let's just I, I'm using general language here. Tend to think that okay, say, say say white folks who are doing this work are coming in, and it's their sort of um, unconscious, you know, ra racial stuff that's really informing their work, and so they need to kind of go in and look through and make sure they don't have any baggage that's being unloaded on this community or in this work, and da da da. That's important work, okay. Now I don't know what I don't want what I'm about to say to trump what I just said because that's really important. But I said, you know what, Paolo? I also think that we got to be aware. You and I grew up in a different generation, and these younger people. I think there's a new breed of human being being born, and I believe that some, you know, you know, and I'm not going to say it. I think these there there are people who've been people like this. Throughout history, but there are two things that are happening. I think there there are young people who really they're not being born in the same world that you and I were born born into. And you can't just always say that because they're you know working in a certain way that or have a certain outlook that it's 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 informed by some racist you know some latent racist thing that they haven't been been aware of. And I also believe that because I know people like this who come into this world and they come in as really sensitive human beings and they get, all they see is the pain in this world. And they see the pain of how, you, how, how we operate. And they're removed from it. And they spend a lot of their childhoods trying to negotiate how just to be in this world because they see how race and culture and class and all kinds of difference fight, you know, differences, you know, fight each other. And then they go in, once they figure that out, how to kind of protect their sensitivity, then they go in and they try to do this work. And they're doing it from a really pure place. And it's not informed by any of that other shit that people are telling them they're informed, that it's informed by. And now, now, I told you now, I don't want this to trump what I said before, okay? Because you could be caught up in that other thing and fall back on this and be like, no, I'm just like this. Especially when you're young, you think that until, you know, some major something happens in your life and you go like, oh, my God, I was lying to myself. And, do I have the, and now do I have the courage to admit that I was, you know, at 37 or 40 that, oh, my God, they were right. And see, the ability to really go inside yourself and always be sort of self, self, you know, inspecting yourself, taking a look, like, like really looking at your motivation, you're the one who's going to make that difference. Do you know what I mean? But be open to what, and, if, and, and guess what? And if, you, if you're being, I'm going to finish right here. If you're being faced with, you know, if you're being confronted by someone, let's say you are coming from that pure place. Now, you've, let's say you, you're like, okay, I'm going to hear you. You go home, maybe you spend a weekend or a week, and you rip it apart, and you go like, okay, let me see, is there any way? And then maybe you find a little thread, and you're like, you know what? You know what, that thread just infiltrated everything and made that look much bigger to this person than it really is. But guess what? I got to own that thread. So you own that thread, and you come back, and you do that work with that person, and you own that thread, and blah, blah, blah. But let's say that person still wants to heap, you know, or you're in another situation where, that's just, you've done the work and you're going like, no, this is not my, excuse my language, but this is not my shit. This is your shit. You're projecting something on me. Now that is, that's, you know, 
in any situation, whether it's, you know, working in a community or working in a, you know, in, in, a, in an institution or working with, you know, this is work situations. There are people coming to work and they're projecting your cra their crap onto you. Okay? So it's just another version of that. So how do you negotiate that? Especially when you're there with this, you know, larger understanding that you're going to be serving. And you're saying, okay, you know, that's a journey for you to have about how to have empathy with that young man go. But, you know, how to grow that empathy within yourself. That's work you got to do personally on the side. And then how, um, and then to look at, you know, and really it's going to challenge you so much. You know, how do you hold that, not allow that to come into effect you personally? See, because that's where it all, see, that's where it all happens. When you start taking it personal. And, you know, because no one can make me feel guilty or feel bad about myself, regardless if I know who I am and I know I've done the work, right? So how do I hold that, not allow it to, like, come into me to affect me because all that stuff then affects this work? And then how do I negotiate that whole territory? That's a personal journey, and that's a really long conversation that I can have with you, but I do have to end it. But it's really, and to me, that's where a lot of this stuff, I really think that's where a lot of miracles happen and where the fertile ground of community work in this country, nobody wants to deal with the ancestral trauma in the black community. Understand this? This is ancestral. This is hundreds of years ago, people being beaten, raped, tortured. Now understand, that's in their DNA. They had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids. Let me tell you something. Some of this stuff, for some people, cannot be worked out on the street and in this work. It has to be worked out through spiritual means. But we're not going to go there. But, but understand that you, you know, every bit of work that we do, every bit of work that we do helps to weed that out. Uh, you know, helps, helps to, helps to weed that out. And again, if you do the work inside of you, cause you can't, cause ultimately, see, I, I'm from that community. You know, I can, I can have a conversation that you can't have with them. Right. But again, we have to be those examples. If we're doing that work and we're different with them over time, there's going to come a place where they, you know, where we, let's say we, we, and I'm not, like I said, it's this monolithic they, and uh, I hate using these words, but you will come across people. When you have those conflict with those people, don't run away. Don't give them to another coworker, a black one. You know what I mean? No, stay in the game. Maybe have, get an ally. Okay, one of your folks, you know, maybe a black one, a person of color, whatever. Stay in there, cause see, that's where something, something, something. You two people are gonna are gonna are, are gonna change together. Are gonna are gonna influence each other, and then you two people are it. And that person right here, who you're trying to quote unquote help, who's bringing something beautiful to the table, they got a lesson for you. They got some growth, and you know, there's something that you're both giving each other, and that, and especially. We want that to rub off in both ways. That person's going to teach you something that you're going to reflect back to all your folks. And you're, and through knowing you, there's a lesson that that person is going to give that's going to reflect back to those pe those folks. It's not, it's, it's, I just, it's not easy. It's complicated. But it also requires that we do a lot of personal work. There's some, you know, you can't be doing this in your, in, in the daytime and not, you know, 
not dealing with your own heart and your own, you know, stuff on the side because it's going to come into your work. And that's where a lot of the, 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 the issues happen. So I have talked a long time and I really, so I hope I haven't um, overstepped my bounds. I just want to want to end by saying that wasn't the note I wanted to end on. There was some some <laughs> some nicer bells, but what I do want to say is this, and no reflection on you, um, is I thank you all for your dedication, your commitment, for you know the light, the hope that you are giving me, um, and also. Um, just know that if you didn't agree with something I had to say, cool, there are other folks out there that, that, you know, you know, we just need to weave it all together. And let's really think about how to weave together opposing views. You know, I had a conversation with somebody prior to this, you know, uh, you know, and I'm not going to tell a story here except, you know, for the fact that by flag waving, card carrying, completely bumper sticker tea party next to a neighbor in North Carolina, is a dear friend of mine because of her values and how she lives her life because she does things that it, for this community and visits people and helps folks that nobody would touch. And somehow we found a really interesting friendship. Just remember, you know, when we're so self-righteous about, you know, like really tone that self-righteousness down, figure, you know, really always be, be the representative of unity. Okay. Just understand that, too. You know, be fluid. Be creative. All right? Y'all have a great day.